And Isaiah says that God holds everything he made in the space between his thumb and his index finger. That God is at work in you? The God whose voice shook the earth, who raises the dead from slumber, and who brought salvation from heaven is alive and well and at work in you. And it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't feel like it. And that's when God wraps his arm around us and whispers in our ear, I'm not finished yet. When you are struggling, when you are hurting, when you are nervous and scared, my God says, I am your shepherd. You have nothing to fear. You are listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. Um, I'm grateful that my friends uh, Lance and Stacy are here this morning, and I want to thank them for these banners, which introduce a series that we're going to begin very, very soon. And the series is on the goodness of God. You know, how you see God affects how you see everything else in the world. And if I could just take every person in the world and sit down with them and say, let's just start with how you see your God. I really think it would change things. So I want to encourage you to come to the the series, bring your friends, and let's talk about the goodness of God. You know, um, it's been said that the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait too long to really begin it. Kim Linehan was a Olympic world record holder in the women's freestyle swimming competition. Her regimen was severe. She would swim 7 to 12 miles a day. And when her manager was asked, what is the hardest part of her regimen? You know what he said? Oh, that's easy. Getting in the water. Getting in the water. Beginning is tough. And if you have tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed, beginning again, well, that's harder still. When I've tried my best and I've fallen on my face, I just want to stay down. Starting over, beginning again, that is so hard. You need motivation to finish. And we're about to begin a lot of new things. You have new things in your family. You've got new school, new startups. The kids are saying, I'm so excited to go back to school, aren't you? Well, the parents are saying, I'm so excited. My kids are going back to school. There's newness going around in your life, and there's newness in our world. Starting up, starting over, starting again, starting something new can be intimidating. It can be scary and it can be tough. And in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you is going to stick with it, stay at it, and bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In Eugene Peterson's paraphrase called The Message, he says, there has never been any doubt in my mind 
that the God who has brought this very work in you will stay at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day that Christ Jesus appears. And we look in the spiritual mirror and we say, you've got to be kidding. God is at work in me. You're talking about the God that made the universe. If you're like me, you were just astounded, excited to see some of these images that have come out from the latest uh, uh, Hubble uh, space uh, imaging. I want you to think about the universe for just a second. So let's just imagine that the sun was the size of an orange. If we did that, then the earth would be the size of a grain of sand 35 feet away. Okay, you got this image in your head? The next closest star, Proxima Centauri, would also be the size of an orange. Now, how far away do we need to put that orange on our model scale? The annex? Not quite far enough. How about the edge of Circe? Not far enough. How about Fayetteville? Not even close. Try Los Angeles. You need to go 1,200 miles to put the next orange to get the next closest star to our sun. Now let's try the galaxy for a second. You're going to need somewhere around 10 billion oranges, each of which are 1,200 miles away from each other, and that's one galaxy with the earth the size of a grain of sand. And according to the latest estimates, there are billions of galaxies. And Isaiah says that God holds everything he made in the space between his thumb and his index finger. That God is at work in you? The God whose voice shook the earth, who raises the dead from slumber, and who brought salvation from heaven, is alive and well and at work in you. And it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't feel like it. And that's when God wraps his arm around us and whispers in our ear, I'm not finished yet. You know, back in the days when being a sheep thief meant branding, an 18-year-old Irish boy had ST branded on his forehead for sheep thief. Years passed. The man changed everything about himself. He's working as an old man now. He's working in a field. A little boy sees him, says to his dad, Dad, what does ST stand for on that man's forehead? And the dad said, we don't really know, son. We never asked him. He hasn't said anything about it. But by watching his life, we all think it must stand for saint. I'm not finished yet, says God. Progress takes time. All we had were candles until the first electric light was invented. And it was so dim, you really couldn't see it without the help of a candle. The first steamboat powered its way from New York City to Albany, New York, 
A 150-mile trip only took a day and a half. The first airplane takes off from Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, and it flies for a whopping 12 seconds. You know, all we had were horses. And then the first cars invented, driving two to four miles per hour, breaking down all the time. People would come by in their carriages. They see somebody working on their car and they yell out, get a horse. And technology shouted back, I'm not finished yet. Progress takes time. I learned this song when I was six years old at camp and it's still true. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on me. He's in you, and he's working, but he won't leave you that way. Listen carefully to this. My God always takes you as you are, but he's not content to leave you that way. C.S. Lewis has a, a brilliant illustration for this. He says, sometimes you have a particular issue in your life, so you pray for it. Most of the time, you take care of yourself, but then there's something you can't handle, so you ask God to come in and fix that thing. But kind of like a contractor who comes into your house and you invite him in to fix a crack in the wall. He comes in and he grabs a sledgehammer and he begins to knock down walls and then get out his blueprints and begins to build a second story. And you say, what are you doing? I invited you in to fix a crack in the wall. And he says, well, I've decided to move in here. And I'm going to make this place fit for me. When you invite God into your life, he isn't going to stop until he makes it a place fit for him. And what's he want to do? What does he want to do in your life? In the 1940s, Reader's Digest ran a story that is almost certainly fictional. That's as far back as I can trace it. But the story is that there was a great golf legend who was traveling around the world showing off his great abilities, and he goes to one country where the king watches him and is amazed. He sends a servant over to the hotel room, knocks on the door, says the king wants to offer you a gift because of your great abilities and for showing that off to us. Please name anything you want. Oh, no, 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 I can't accept a gift, says the golf legend. It wouldn't be right. No, no, you can't refuse a gift from the king, says the servant. So he's trying to think of something simple to ask for, something basic. He says, I don't know. Tell the king, I'll take a golf club. No problem. The next day, the servant comes back to the hotel room with the deed to a 700-acre golf club. And the moral of the story, as I heard it from the preacher sharing the story, is that when you are talking about the king, you don't think small. My God's at work in you. And what is he going to do with you? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 says, We don't yet know what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. It was McGuigan who tells the story that one day we're going to be in heaven and the angels are going to be pointing at us and whispering to each other, 
and we're going to shuffle over to listen because who likes to be pointed at or whispered about? So we're going to try to figure out what's going on, and we're going to overhear the angels as they're looking at you, and they're going to say, wow, doesn't he and she look just like Christ? He's at work in you, Philippians 1 and verse 6, and God won't stop until he brings it to completion on the day that Christ Jesus appears. What do we do when it doesn't feel like it? What do we do when it doesn't seem like it? The answer is we believe it. Augustine is a really famous church father, and he's one of those interesting stories. Wrote all these amazingly profound, deep books that have influenced people for centuries, and yet it almost didn't happen. He lived a very profligate life. He had every story you can imagine. He's done it. And in his book, he tells the story that one time after he had responded to the message of God, he was walking down the road and a former lover sees him and says, Augustine, Augustine, he keeps walking. Augustine, Augustine, he keeps walking. Augie, Augie, it's me. And he turns around and he says, yes, ma'am but it's no longer me. Isn't that a great line? My God is at work in you to take whatever is going on in your life, whatever stories that you want to hide behind, the stories you want to mask and cover up, and reframes them and turns them into stories that talk about God's unlimited patience and grace as he takes even this and turns it into something remarkable and Beautiful. You know, the word charcoal only appears two times in the New Testament. Only twice. The first time is in John chapter 18, where Peter denies Jesus three times. It's interesting that John says that Peter was warming his hands by a charcoal fire. I love the smell of charcoal. You know it's the 4th of July. You know somebody's cooking out. You know there's hamburgers somewhere, which means you got to make a new friend. And when you get a chance to do that, you get to eat some good food. I love the smell. You know where you are. You know what's happening when you smell charcoal. Now, if you have gas grills, God will let you into heaven too. But charcoal is the way to go. And you love that smell. It reminds you of something. Don't you know that every time Peter smells a cookout... He's going to remember the worst moment in his life unless God reframes it. The only other time that word appears in the whole New Testament is in John 21. The resurrected Lord is on the shore and Peter sees him from the boat and he jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore and he's standing in front of Jesus, probably imagining, what am I going to say? I've betrayed him. He died because of me. And he sees Jesus and Jesus gives him three opportunities to change his negative denials of him into three positive affirmations. Three times Peter had said, I don't know the man. And now he has a chance three times to say, I love you. I love you. And I want whatever you want. Of course I love you. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus is cooking a charcoal fire. 
And as that smell sears Peter's conscience and makes him remember, it means every moment here on out that he smells a cookout, he will remember the mission of the Savior and one of the greatest moments in his life. I don't know what your story has been up till now, but I promise you, even better than erasing all that's ever happened, he'll reframe everything that's ever happened and turn it into a chapter about the goodness and greatness of God. And your story becomes part of his story as we tell history the way it's supposed to be told. God at work in the world. When you are struggling, when you are hurting, when you are nervous and scared, my God says, I am your shepherd. You have nothing to fear. I will make you walk. I'll make you lay down green pastures. I'll make you walk beside still waters. I'll restore your soul. I will prepare a table. I will anoint your head. And I will chase after you with goodness and mercy as long as you live. And one day, you will be in the house of the Lord forever. If you don't think it, if you don't feel it, I beg you to believe it. Romans 8 and verse 11, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you, you better believe that my God is coming back. He's coming back for you and will raise your mortal bodies like he raised Christ from the dead to be with him forever. And that story starts now. If you've never said yes to the Savior, don't you know that story can start now? We'll take the old you. We'll bury you. We'll raise you to walk a new life. And by God's powerful spirit, a new story will begin. And we'll be going through life and we'll think of all the worst moments and we'll say to ourselves, yes, but that's no longer me. For to me to live is Christ. Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguide.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.